Hi, everybody. Welcome to Aikar Guraman. Hi, Neve. How are you today? Hi, Ben. How are you getting on? I'm good. How thanks. Do you consider yourself an artist? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, a geology degree is basically a lot of coloring in. So, yeah. What about yourself? <laughs> right, making figures. <laughs> oh my God, so many maps. Can you imagine if like um, figures from articles would be exhibited in a museum one day? That would I'm be fierce. I actually looked at my undergrad lab notebook the other day from all of my microscope drawings and all of that. And they're really good. So yeah, someone should put that in a museum, just saying. Today, we're going to talk about the relationship between art and science with Martina O'Brien, the artist in residence in ICRAG, and she's going to tell us how she views geoscience through the lens of art. Really looking forward to uh, hearing what Martina has to say. So without further ado, let's jump in. This is iCragorama, the podcast about everything Irish geoscience, with Neve Faulkner and Ben Couvin. And today, our guest is Martina O'Brien, the artist in residence in iCrag. And so now, without further ado, we'll welcome Martina O'Brien. Hi, Martina. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Martina? Very good. This is great. I'm really excited about this chat. Um, have you been in a podcast before? I think maybe you, you do um, have a podcast. No. I started a kind of series of podcasts, but I find it found it quite difficult to um, grab people to speak to. And I think over the last year, like it's just because of lockdown and this type of thing that the year has just flown by. So a lot of my ideas at the beginning have kind of um, been slightly sidestepped for now. So, yeah, I'd say as well, a lot of people have, uh, I think everyone in there, <laughs> everyone during lockdown decided to do a podcast. I think everyone A has got Zoom fatigue of doing recordings online, but also uh, podcast fatigue because everyone and their dog seems to be doing a podcast these days. This is, this is true. Yeah, it's kind of, I suppose when things start to lift a little bit, I was more interested in making work and getting stuck into that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so tell us a bit about yourself. Give us a bit of your, your background. You're, you're a, a, an ICAG artist in residence. Tell us a bit more about yourself. So I suppose the um, residency that I'm doing at the moment is UCD's Parsi Studios um, Artists in Residence with ICRAG. And that's really amazing because I've got access to so many different researchers and um, experts within ICRAG, but also in UCD. And prior to this residency, I would have been on several different residencies um, and kind of collaborated and engaged with different members of the scientific community. But I suppose the... Um, the beginning of this quest really for me was um, down to pure curiosity, you know, um, and in 2011, my house was flooded in Dublin and that really just turned, it turned my world upside down, but it also turned my art making upside down because I started to kind of think, well, hold on, you know, this idea of 100 year event, flooding event is happening every other year now. And why is that? And 
how are kind of these predictions um, made? How is the kind of, how, how is climate modeling produced, you know? And I just, I suppose, followed a journey of trying to answer questions about how these things and how the science world um, and, and the earth sciences operate. And so it's just been a journey over the last yeah. few years, I would say, yeah. This makes a lot of sense. And I think we're, we're kind of all on this journey at this moment because climate change is happening and we're, we're experiencing this uh, every day. We see in the news forest fires and, and heat waves and flooding. And, and uh, yeah, I think we're all on this journey and it, it makes a lot of sense to, to try to uh, express it artistically. So what were you focused on before, actually, if you want to talk a little bit so about that? So prior to that, I suppose my practice was basically painting. Um, but as I said, once this kind of, I had a personal experience of um, flooding. And really, I think that unless you live through it and you see your sofa, so, you know, like floating in the sitting room and, you know, you can't get out your door and, and all the cars are destroyed um, on your road. Um, I could no longer follow that. I could, I needed, I had an urge within me to kind of make art that has a purpose, perhaps, and is more thoughtful rather than we'll say retinal art, which would make somebody quite happy to put a painting over the fireplace, which is a beautiful thing. And, mm -hmm. and you know, um, but it just didn't sit quite right with me. And at that time in Ireland, for sure, anyway, um, there were very few people looking at climate. I, I maybe three to four people actually. Well, don't quote me on that, but really, <laughs> I mean, the kind of the the contemporary art world was really focused on kind of finance, um, austerity, economics, politics, um, and very little. And so I, I I suppose at the beginning people were like, "What you doing?" What like why this is not so important but over that space of time I can see the kind of um importance now um say so it's really interesting that you you said that sort of around 2011 you know the contemporary art scene was very focused on the sort of economics and obviously you know Ireland is just sort of still I guess at that point really suffering from the effects of the crash and stuff like that and does it sort of follow trends and that now people are more focused on climate change and climate awareness because it's become certainly in just everyone's day-to-day -day lives more? That's a difficult question in the sense that if I say yes, <laughs> that sounds, <laughs> it, it, you know, I, I, I would say that I am now very aware that an awful lot of work is made about ecology or um, about climate in one way or the other, because I suppose visual art or contemporary art reflects back our experience and and it always has to be quite current because I suppose it's the way you, you think and you work as a contemporary artist and so that's only natural that that's kind of a, a main theme or one of the the kind of I suppose focuses now but for sure um it's definitely grown it's definitely expanded yeah and you could have approached it from an emotional point of view but it feels like your art is very uh, geeky like really like trying to understand the science uh, behind climate change uh, why did you feel that this approach was the right one it's the way that I try to answer questions for myself um, I'm not a scientist I'm probably the 
the least scientific person you'll ever meet. Um, it's just not in my, I don't use that side of my brain at all. And so therefore um, my curiosity, and I think once as an artist or even as a human being, if you're no longer curious about things, then you should definitely do something else, right? So I would always kind of, perhaps when I meet um, a new kind of scientist, I would always say that like, you know, imagine me as your seven-year-old nephew asking a question, like, but why, but why? So it's like, it's, it's always my way of kind of striving to kind of understand more. And it's also kind of, a nervousness as well about climate that's yeah that's I really like the your point there on um on curiosity as well because I think certainly a lot of scientists like if you ask them certainly about like curiosity and, and creativity I think a lot of them wouldn't necessarily think themselves as being creatives because you know scientists are actually so creative but you're sort of it's almost this thing in school you're taught like science is this and this and this and it's very stuck inside a, a kind of a box I guess but have you found the the scientists that you've worked with, have they have they been more creative or have you ever had kind of difficulties trying to like, you know, coax, coax more answers out of them? Um, I will say that I think I agree. I think they're really I think the curious ones and the kind of ones that are not kind of embittered by years <laughs> of doing the same thing um, are very uh, creative Um very individual and interesting people yeah when i see sometimes some of my colleagues at icrag the figures that they manage to do with just like software like um uh, illustrating software it's it is art it's amazing like they do these submarine canyons and valleys and and you look at this and it's <laughs> you it, they can't tell me that they are not creative because it's it's just it's just so beautiful what they can produce just with an illustrating software and a little bit of imagination really so yeah there's definitely some creative minds in the world of science for sure for sure i i just think that perhaps in my experience um sometimes artists well all the time artists and scientists speak different languages um, a lot of the times I think artists would be quite intimidated by scientists and vice versa in a way, because we do oh, definitely. speak different language. Um, and I suppose there's so many differences, but one difference, I suppose, is that the artist gets to kind of work with certain research and kind of pull that apart and um, use that and then perhaps then move on to something else as such, you know, whereas with scientists, this is an awful thing to say, probably, but there's there, there is a, a sense of self-awareness there. And and sometimes um, science stifles claims, you know, you have to be quite mm -hmm. careful when you make claims because you need all these years of research behind, whereas artists is quite different. So it's, it's slightly more risky mm. as it should be. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about uh, your uh, residency at ICRAG. So first of all, how do you become an artist in residence um, anywhere? Do you have to apply um, or do people come and uh, offer you the position? Uh, how does that work? Well, uh, I think most of the time you have to apply. 
Um, but the kind of most glorious, fantastic opportunity came my way in 2019 when I got a call from um, Emer O'Boyle, who is the director of Parity Studios in UCD. And she just called me out of the blue. I'd never met her and said, you know, there's there's an iCrag expedition um, coming up on the Celtic Explorer. Um, I thought of your practice. Would you like to go? And, and I kind of, hello? <laughs> is this a joke? <laughs> this is like just too brilliant, right? It's just things like that don't happen. So it was just like incredible opportunity. And I suppose prior to the expedition, um, I knew nothing of marine geoscience or anything, uh, nothing. And um, I did my little bit of kind of homework and I thought, so we're going out to the Porcupine Bank Canyon and um, I kind of came across, have you heard of the island of High Brazil? High Brazil? High Brazil, yeah. So there's no. this kind of island, it's in folklore we'll say um of this island which if you look on maps maybe back to the 1500s um porcupine bank canyon is where high brazil is right and this so is this kind of this island that rises from the sea every seven years and so if you're on the west coast of ireland one day every seven years you can see high brazil and I thought, wow, we're going to high Brazil. This is like amazing. And then, of course, um, as soon as I got on board, I said, Robert, you know, I, I said, no, Martina. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I said, no. They said, high Brazil has moved up to Rock Hall. So, like, if you follow it on the maps, the <laughs> island moves. Um, so that was kind of my hopes and dreams dashed. I thought this is going to be real mystical, you know, um, but the expedition itself was just phenomenal and, and kind of opened this area of interest in the deep ocean for me. And I've, I've been lucky enough to be able to continue this path with my residency in ICRAC. So I suppose to answer your question, that's how my residency came about, because I think I'm the first um, ICRAC artist in residence. A lot of responsibility, right? Yeah, uh, big shoes to fill. Yeah. That's so cool that it started. I didn't realize that your residency started with a trip on, on the Explorer because actually, um, myself and Ben, we went on the Explorer. We were in there um, in May. So we obviously, yeah, uh, and we were doing it for science communication and, and sort of, I suppose we did some, some artwork. We did lots of, well, yeah, we did lots of cool videos and, and stuff like that. I mean, did, I suppose, did you enjoy do, working on the Explorer? I absolutely, um, it was beyond amazing, beyond amazing. I mean, really glorious is the only word. Um, it was rough at times, right? Because, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of researchers on board um, were getting violently sick. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, even we we know exactly. <laughs> we know yeah, that exactly. feeling exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. So if you're not getting sick, I find if I'm not getting sick myself, it, when I see somebody else getting sick, I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm about to get sick, right? So, um, and it was, it, yeah, it was incredible. Um, some of the days were quite rough, but it was, I followed the researchers around. Uh, it was with Aaron Lim and um, I followed them around the camera for 10 days nonstop. Right. So, what what type of uh, what type of artwork did you produce 
to me, the Celtic Explorer is kind of a very fascinating, inspiring environment. So I guess uh, you must have had plenty of ideas on, on what to do. So yeah, did you produce a film or uh, just a film or did you produce um, some other types of artwork from your experience on the Celtic Explorer? Um, I would say that I still am producing work. Um, wow. So the first um, piece that I made was called B-Scope. And in 2019, I was also artist in residence in the European Commission's Joint Research Centre in Italy. So I kind of produced a, a two-channel video installation. Um, and through that work, I was kind of, I was fascinated by the ROV, right? At nighttime, I was just... It was just this most amazing looking um, object and also the kind of the live feed that you could have in the dry lab. I find this amazing. I find the idea of the cameras on the ROV like almost as sensors as such. And um, they allow you to kind of sit in your sit in the dry lab, sit in your chair and kind of view the ocean bed from this kind of almost like a God's eye view. I'm really interested in this kind of the way technology and cameras um, can allow us access certain spaces that we couldn't normally get to or yeah, experience, it, right? It expands, it expands our abilities as, uh, you know, beings. It does. It makes us lazy too, though, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, in a sort way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's also like a secondhand perspective. Um, but, but I find that absolutely incredible and I loved the kind of even the low res footage you get from the ROV I know you've got high res but you've got low res as well so I really enjoyed kind of working with um some of that footage in that work and so we didn't um when we were on the the ship we didn't get to take out the ROV but we did we did manage to to take the drone out and I guess it's sort of different the kind of the complete opposite literally of uh, of using the ROV is getting a you know a bird's eye view rather than a sort of fish eye view um but that was even that was so cool we did it you know being able to take it out on a we had a really nice day in Bantry Bay and just even to to sort of see the ship which you know you, you spend all this time on see it from a sort of aerial perspective is it's just it's just like I said it, it gives another perspective and yeah it was really really cool I really enjoyed seeing all the footage from that and yeah it was just a really nice uh, addition to all the work we were doing yeah, fantastic. Um, I'm sure you would have had to have a really gentle day for that, though, right? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of capturing it at the end, you know, and just yeah, we had to we had to do it actually during a day where we actually had to come in from the Atlantic because it was so stormy in our in our area. So we just had to hide um, in Bantry Bay and just float there for a day and a half. So we thought, all right, okay, not doing the work we're supposed to doing. Let's get the drone out, and um, we've got some great footage. It was really cool. Task. Yeah, we, we did so much during this day, actually. Yeah. We, did, we did the, the drone, the podcast, the music video, everything. Um, music video? Yeah. yeah but ben, ben produced a whole album while we were on the, the Celtic Explorer. Yeah, I, I did a lot of music ben, there. It must have been a very boring so if you had time to do that. Yeah, no, well, it was during, during Night Watch. <laughs> we yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay, so continuing on the um, the Celtic Explorer work. So, uh, where did you exhibit this work, and is it still possible to to see um, what you've done? Have you done an installation or uh, something similar? So it was exhibited in Bazaar, 
Center for Fine Arts in um, Brussels. And, um, but I've also made other works from that trip actually, and through um, collaboration with Aaron Lim. He's, he was just so generous with his research and also generous and patient because a lot of the times, I suppose, as an artist, you need the scientist or expert to be quite patient with you because you're asking silly questions a lot, right? And, you know, that can get really irritating. <laughs> um, but he was really so helpful. Um, and he shared some of his 3D maps of the Porcupine Bank Canyon. So from that, I made a series of light boxes last year called Neither Fully Self Nor Other. So this work is to be installed in a dark space. Um, and I've made, I made a series of cyanotype prints or cyanotype prints. And um, so I was kind of looking at his maps of this space as a kind of blueprint as such, because once again, it comes back to the idea that in a way we have to rely on the kind of this this technology and this way of viewing space that we cannot experience, right? So it's a blueprint. Um, and then I use the cyanotype um, print because it used to be used for making um, architectural drawings. Cyanotype photography was kind of one of the oldest methods of photography. And through making these prints, you have to expose um, a paper that you've made quite sensitive or chemicals to daylight. Um, but if you leave it out in daylight too long, it'll just disappear. So it's kind mm. of really nice to kind of look at the canyon and the coral there, which live in this kind of petrol darkness and kind of marry the darkness with the light. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking you were using cyanotype because it's like blue and you kept saying blueprints. So I was like, ah, that's the link, but obviously not. No, it's kind of <laughs> a handy, a handy, yeah, another kind of handy marriage, I guess another layer to it yeah yeah <laughs> let's talk about some of your previous work so before you got the residency in icrag you also released a book about um some people you followed while they were doing citizen science right so could you tell us a bit about that maybe yeah so the book um is a physical publication and it's called every single morning and it was kind of it came out of a project that I made called Quitodian, which um, was quite interesting because it still ties into my interest in technology. And um, I was looking at weather observers in County Kildare. And I don't know if you know what these guys do, but the weather observers um, have rain gauges installed in their garden. And every day at between either nine o'clock or 10 o'clock, depends on what type of the year, they go out and they take um, rainfall measurements and they kind of jot down these measurements. Um, they're historical measurements because they're of the previous 24 hours, but they send away these postcards to Met Aaron um, at the end of the month. And I was really interested in these people because it's very odd, right? I, I wouldn't do it. It's like, how can you commit to do that every day? It's like, what about holidays? <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. How, how does one how does one get involved in, in yeah what's their motivation it's really, really kind of it's it's interesting because you know all these met services they're replacing these people by automated stations you know um and so each of these seven people because there's only seven people in the county um each of them have kind of either inherited the gauge or because they're a farmer 
um, they have personal interest and they're invested in the weather and the rain. Um, so each have a different story. Um, but I just found it really, really interesting because it's as low tech as you can possibly get. Like, so their equipment is like copper, paper, paper and pencil, and that's it. And they're offline, nothing computerized, and they're off grid. You'll never find them. And <laughs> no, you won't, because even prior to this project, the seven people uh, didn't never met each other. So through my project, um, we had some kind of... Um, meetings in Maynooth University actually and I brought them together to meet each other for the first time which was really lovely you know and really odd yeah because one of them lived probably two fields away from the other person and they never met each other and they didn't know that's so funny it's like a part of a a sort of a really really exclusive club so exclusive that you don't know the members the other members oh so underground yeah underground and nobody knows each other it's the most non-networked network i've ever met in my life that's amazing and um how do you sort of decide each project like i mean i know you mentioned for um for the project you did on the explorer someone approached you for that but i mean do people approach you or i mean how did you how did you even hear about um these weather gauges I got the idea in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose before that. So I made a project that was exhibited in the Butler Gallery in 2018, where I looked at the idea of these um, rain gauges and these the kind of equipment that's used to um, record weather. And I looked at a site in um, Spain. And I looked at a site in Dublin in Casement Aerodrome, which is the military uh, air uh, base, actually. And I was looking about the visibility and invisibility of, of these things, you know, and how we can access them or how they're hidden from us. And I suppose so it's kind of a continuation of an interest. Um, so one project kind of starts you thinking about something else and it's like following this kind of like investigation. But I suppose the first time I tried to find a rain gauge. So on Met Erin's website, they had the, the GPS location. OK, and I was in Dublin one day and I said, OK, I'm going to go and find one because I want to. I was curious. What do they look like? Like, hmm. you know, um, I've never seen one. And so I put, there was one in Sandy Mount. I don't know if you're familiar with that area. Yeah. And so I put that into my phone. I was driving along, following the sat nav, da, 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 da. And it almost, it brought me into a shipping container. I didn't go into a shipping container. (laughs) Yeah. So I just called up Matt Aaron then. I said, can I, like, what's this? And like, I'm trying to find this gauge and I've, I've been brought to a shipping container in the docks and they laughed and they said, no, 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 you'll never find these. These are all off grid. So they, <laughs> they just pick a random GPS. Um, so that kind of started my intrigue and interest into the kind of visibility and, um, you know, the kind of clandestine aspect of this kind of network. Um, it's almost yeah. like you could go like geotagging with them but they sort of deliberately lead you astray yeah and they i i wouldn't like so cool then <laughs> i've got to kind of know um the gentleman and met Aaron that's responsible for all these weather observers and he's really lovely and you know but he did laugh a lot when 
yeah. are the thoughts of me in, in almost a shipping container. I, I, I yeah. love that your your projects always start and spark out of your curiosity. Mm. I think that's lovely. There's there's almost a um a Doctor Who esque uh, <laughs> side to it where you're like, oh, I'm going to explore this today. I'm curious what it is like. Yeah, uh, but I isn't it so great to be an artist? You can do that, right? This is like, you know, there are so many downsides to being an artist, like <laughs> poverty, <laughs> starvation, <laughs> you know, uh, things like that. But the 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 upside is just it's it it's just creative you know, freedom. Ju- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's. I, I would recommend it to everybody. At least take a year out and be an artist. Everybody should. Did you always know that you wanted to be an artist? Or was it sort of passion from, from childhood? Or how did you sort of get into pursuing a career in art? So I studied art when I left school. Um, I went to the National College of Art and Design. And I think about eight or nine months into that I actually got really interested in photography so I left and I, I went to, stu- to study photography um, in Dunleary in IADT and so after that I started painting but as I said once my house is flooded kind of my art making absolutely changed you know. So about that let's talk about your, you have a, a new exhibition in Clonmel. And so what is the theme of the exhibition? I, I think you have a new film that you're showing there. So what is it about? Okay, so I took part in um, a residency, a kind of short residency with um, an artist called Christine Mackey. And we're looking at the ideas of how the kind of trace and tracks that are left on the landscape from humans and it can be very very subtle or, or quite deliberate um, and I was looking actually at the research that ICRAG um, the kind of research project projects and I seen that um, there was quite a lot of information available about the silver mines and mm-hmm. so it, it kind of sparked an interest for me because I'm also at the moment working uh, towards a show in um, the science gallery in Dublin um next year and through both projects in a way like I've been looking at the idea of darkness the deep ocean deep earth and this kind of idea of extraction as well I've also been looking at the the idea of kind of laws and you know um the law of the sea um, and the kind of the rights of non-humans as such you know so for the work in Tipperary I was really lucky to be able to go and meet um, John Gouvan, I think. Um, and he kind of took me on, on a crazy journey down to Chalet Mine. So I was looking at kind of, I suppose, the historical literature around rocks and stones and that kind of very primitive, romantic way uh, that people used to speak about or write about rock um, and and the kind of savageness of it and the kind of unknown of it. Um, A little bit like they would speak about animals and stuff, you know. Um, And so our kind of romantic relationship with landscape and then looking also about this idea of deep time and like how we process that and do we understand that? Um, How does it feel to kind of think about such vast timescales? 
and then also about the kind of afterlife of minds you know that's such like an interesting thing to look at because I guess as geologists the idea of deep time and and geological time is that's the time scale we work in whereas to try to explain that concept to general public it, it is a really tricky idea to grasp so that's a really in, like, I guess I've never really thought about using art to to try and explain that, but it is such a a useful medium. Yeah, even even as like geologists, we even though we understand the concept, it's still hard to grasp for our, mm. our minds sometimes, and we we use it more as like a work scale, uh, like oh, we work with this this time period and this time period and this sort of calendar that we have on our walls without really always thinking about how the, what this means really. And yeah, and, sort of normalized, normalized yeah. working with really, yeah, really, really I, old I, stuff. I don't know how you normalize that. I think it's so bizarre <laughs> and it kind of stretches my mind. It's like, it's, and, and I think also what I try to look at is the feeling of that as opposed to the text of that or the data of that. If that makes sense to kind of the feel of like you also lose control. I mean, it's very hard for your mind to grasp. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's, that's, I suppose, what interested me. And also um, I was looking at kind of mapping the area as well. So I, I use some kind of LIDAR uh, point cloud data to kind of look at the marks left as such, you know, mm. and it's really beautiful because it kind of just, clears away everything it kind of strips everything bare and and I love the kind of looking at the sites from above and also the maps that are made and and also the idea of the endings of the maps I find that really amazing um the kind of edges of maps mm-hmm. and the endings um and the kind of space beyond the map as such speaking of space maybe since you've um you've studied uh deep sea and then deep uh, rock and deep time maybe the next stage is deep space well you know in that video that i spoke about the b-scope video that's exactly what i was looking at this kind of rov going down into the the depth of the ocean and it is strangely um weird coincidence the date that i took the footage of the rov on the celtic explorer was the 15th of may if i remember correctly um, and then the 15th of May um, seemed to be, strangely, the day for the USA and USSR to kind of launch their, their rockets. So it's kind of this weird kind of linkage between going down as far as you can and up as far as you can at the same time. So um, it's, that's all I know about space. <laughs> but maybe it's the next project, right? Maybe that's such nice. a cool coincidence. <laughs> It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Now, iCrag has an artist in residence. Uh, probably others will follow after you and other science organization or conferences like EGU, for example, they have artists in residence now. So it seems like art is taking a bigger place in the world of science nowadays. So what do you think about that? Um, what is the benefit according to you, of, of artists and scientists coming together and working together and collaborating? And do you think we could do more? Oh, gosh, that's it's kind of a big question. 
Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I can only speak personally, really. I mean, I suppose if you have that curiosity to understand a little bit more without having to do a PhD in some kind of scientific discipline, um, I find the benefit for me of the ICRAG residency is to it's almost like a shortcut in a way. So if I want to find something out or I have questions about something, um, rather than taking months of trying to find out well and then you go ah that's you know um with with this residency i can just get answers quicker if that makes sense mm-hmm. so you've kind of got this access to researchers and experts and um and also if they can't help you they'll definitely point you very quickly to somebody that can so it's um it's really beneficial handy that- finger on the pulse yeah no it's 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 fantastic i mean and also, I think for some artists, sometimes they're a bit shy or a bit, you know, they don't know who to ask about stuff or how do I find about this out about this or that. I, I think residencies like this are really phenomenal, you know, um, and they create something. They I, I suppose they make work that they make it possible to look at things differently, you know. So we'll say the scientists will look at some things one way. And as I said already, there is a kind of there's a necessity for research to be very rigorous. Um, But I think engaging with an artist can kind of um, open up other pathways of looking at things. I totally agree. And I think as well, it's good to encourage or just highlight as well certainly for for sort of a research perspective all of the variety of research as well and to you know potentially encourage people to go into sciences or encourage you know a greater conversation be that about climate change and stuff like that I think you know artists and and science like the collaboration between the two is is such a useful tool yes it just makes each part of the collaboration think a little bit differently perhaps Mm. or look at something slightly different um which can be very disappointing sometimes (laughs) well I won't lie you know like I do find sometimes with um different institutions perhaps they misunderstand what a visual artist is and what it's not and it's definitely not uh, a graphic designer or some kind of PR <laughs> thing you know it's quite different so I think um but it can be really magic when it works I think you know and I've yeah. had a great time a really great it, time. to me it makes sort of a bridge between two opposite ends of a society as well in a way and so it kind of makes it easier for the general population to connect with some of these issues because because for a long time I think researchers have seemed like um, in their little bubbles and are it's really hard to to understand them or to you know to to know what they're talking about and they have a really hard time expressing what they what they find and I think artists can maybe help in channeling these emotions to the general population through their eyes, through the, the way they, they think about these issues, for example. To me, the, the, that's the way I view the benefits from this collaboration anyway. Yeah, but it's also to ask the really simple questions, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes I think within institutions um, that you all understand what you're talking about. You totally get it. 
I did a residency one time and and um the people that were there kept speaking about the model the whole time you know mm. the model will do this and then like after date three I said what is the model I don't know what yeah. the model is, right and nobody could answer yeah and then day five somebody came up and said you know well the model is it's a string of maths and stuff but like to me that's an obvious question like I don't under we don't speak the same language you know so um it's sometimes nice to 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 I suppose allow an artist to kind of even ask silly questions totally Martina where can we uh find you in the coming months where can we uh see your work the work that you you've made uh where are you going to show it Okay, so in April next year, I'm going to have a solo exhibition in Science Gallery Dublin. So um, I'm not quite sure how long that show will be on for, but um, people can definitely come and see new work then. Yeah. And um, is it still possible to get your book every single morning? Yeah, so the book is available on Temple Bar Gallery and studios website um, they kind of have an online store there with different artist books so it's available it's available there yeah where can people find you on the internet uh, or on social media um i'm on twitter and instagram at martina l o'brien well martina thank you so much for coming to talk to us this morning it was great hearing about all of your work and um and the sort of stories behind it and um, the collaboration between art and science and yeah really looking forward to seeing the upcoming science gallery exhibition next year that's great thank you so much guys i really enjoyed it actually thank you for joining us it was a pleasure anytime so that's the end of this episode of icragorama so if you enjoyed this episode rate us with a five-star review on apple podcast that will really help us uh, putting the podcast on the forefront of all the platforms And our next episode is in two weeks. So in the meantime, I wish you a a great time, a great day, a great week. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.